Hello and welcome to Hide the Obsessed. I am your host, Thomas Boomhauer, and on today's episode of perhaps the greatest podcast of all time, with a pineapple in the logo anyway, I'm going to be diving deep into the 2005 Fortaleza Brazil Banco Central robbery. This is our first bank heist of the season, and I am super excited to talk about it with you all, but first, a little bit of housekeeping. So I had actually recorded this episode, I know I'm coming a day late, but I had recorded this episode earlier, but there was just something off with it when I was listening back, doing the editing, getting it ready for release, I was like, nah, something's not right, vibes are off, so I decided to go back to the drawing board and give it another shot, and so now I'm sitting here, ready to go, fired up, and about to crush this thing. So if you're listening to the pod for the first time, be sure to follow, subscribe, what have you, uh, to the show on the podcast platform of your choice. And last week I went around and made sure I was on a bunch of platforms, so I should be available legitimately pretty much anywhere now. Also be sure to check out the Instagram and Twitter accounts for the show at hight underscore obsessed underscore podcast on Instagram and at highto podcast on Twitter. Those are the best places to stay up to date on future episodes, future seasons, and memes, and anything else I feel like posting, book reviews, uh, some weird videos I made sometimes, that sort of thing. Just a reminder, next week will be the much-anticipated, at least by me, National Treasure episode. So, if you haven't seen that movie, first of all, like, what are we doing out here? What, like, come on. Second of all, be sure to watch that so you can dive deep, along with my guest and I, into that motion picture. Now, with that out of the way, swept under the rug and all that, let's dive into this heist. What comes to mind when you think of Brazil? Do you think of their beautiful rainforests, the beaches, their people? Maybe you think about their president, or perhaps even that mission in Modern Warfare 2, where you're running through all the favelas. Whatever it is that comes to mind for you, and for me, it is that Modern Warfare 2 mission, by the way, Uh, but whatever it is at the forefront of your mind when it comes to Brazil, I'm willing to bet that it isn't tunnel-based heists. And for some reason, there have been a pretty good amount of them, both attempted and successfully pulled off, which is kind of interesting. And this might be a thing where if I, or you, or whoever, go and doodle, you know, tunnel heist and then any country. So say, like, tunnel heist Belgium. Maybe we did a whole bunch of results. But for my piece, what I'm doing out here is, I feel like I'm going to imagine that This is Brazil's signature type of heist, and if I'm wrong on that, Camilla, please let me know, call me out. Anyway, today we're going to focus on the biggest of these heists, at least in terms of money stolen, and touch on at least one more. Like many countries around the world, Brazil has a central bank which operates as the principal monetary authority in their country, sort of like the Federal Reserve here in the United States. Also like the Federal Reserve, there are multiple branches of the Brazilian Central Bank, or Banco Central, throughout the country. One of these is in the city of Fortaleza, located in the state of Sierra. Now, some of the sources I've consulted in preparing this episode have said that this specific branch had the specialty of evaluating currency for recirculation or destruction, which is, you know, kind of big if true, but that intel only came from other podcasts and um, a video that I watched, 
none of which included sources or anything like that. So I cannot confirm the accuracy of that, but just a little interesting tidbit if true. Regardless, during the weekend of August 6th through 8th, 2005, this branch was the victim of the largest cash heist in Brazilian history to that point. And it remains one of the most significant heists in terms of money stolen, even to this day. Sometime between the bank closing for business on Friday, August 5th, and reopening on Monday, the 8th, thieves entered the vault and made off with between 140 and 170 reals, the currency of Brazil, which is between about 65 and 72 million US dollars in 2005, which would be about 100 million dollars today. Quick side note. This season, we've had several like recurring themes, I guess, in these heists. Um, one is that sources on these heists always disagree about important details. There's a lot of variance. And another that I've touched on, but I don't think I've brought to like made a point of referencing before, is that inflation just like really sucks. In 16 years, this store has gained over $25 million in value, which isn't really true, right? Because it's really lost... 25 million in spending power, if that makes sense. And I think it does. I'm not an economist by any stretch, but I did get an A in microeconomics, so shout out Professor Stenard. But regardless, uh, you know, if I'm right, if I miscalculate or anything, inflation is still distressing. Side note, done. This theft is, like I said, the largest in Brazilian history to that point, and it easily surpassed the previous largest heist, which netted the culprits around 16 million US dollars. In this 2005 heist, the criminals gained access to the central bank's vault via a huge underground tunnel, which was about 262 feet long with a 28-inch diameter. This tunnel stretched from a nearby house the crew had rented or purchased three months earlier and used as a front because they pretended that they were a landscaping company. And this was an ideal cover for a number of reasons, chief among them that it would explain the large quantities of dirt being removed from the property, you know, dating a tunnel, dirt started to go somewhere. But it also made sense that a bunch of workers would be coming in and out of a landscaping company. And also, you know, a lot of dating tools would be coming in and out of the property as well. The fake company had a logo, a van with that same logo, and even apparently sold artificial grass, real grass, and other materials according to government spokespeople. Although that has been disputed by the locals. The tunnel itself was pretty awesome too. It was huge, like I brought up already, but it was also equipped with a lighting system, air circulation system, uh, air conditioning, a pulley system for transporting the dirt as they got deeper and deeper into the earth, wood paneling, um, and even like wood support beams, and also plastic waterproofing. So that speaks to the know-how of these thieves, as well as the time and effort that went into pulling off this heist. And also, like, it meant that the this crew had money of some sort before the heist because estimates are that the tunnel cost 200000 to construct. Now, it obviously wasn't as easy as dating a huge tunnel for three months and then breaking into the vault. Uh, the thieves also had to go through three and a half feet of reinforced concrete, which they did using a blowtorch, an electric saw, and bolt cutters. Once inside the vault, the criminals were greeted with quite the merry sight. There were not one, not two, not three, not four... Five containers filled with 50 real notes, which were in the vault designated for examination to determine whether these bills should be destroyed because of like damage, wear and tear, that sort of thing, or whether they were fit to be recirculated into the economy. Now, this is important for a few reasons. 
It meant that these bills weren't crisp and fresh. You know, we didn't need the crew didn't need to dirty them up, crumple them up, anything like that, like we see in the movies from time to time. And it also meant that the bills were marked. It also meant that the bills weren't marked, you know, like um, or sequenced or anything like that. So basically, it's untraceable. There was so much money there that it, all in all, it weighed over three tons. And it also apparently was uninsured, which based off the U.S.'s financial system, at least, I think is less crazy than you would initially think, because it's not like this is a branch of a private bank. This is the government's money. So like the government in the U.S., the uh, FDIC, I believe, insures up to $200,000 of money in a single bank. If a person has that and like the bank robbed, you're good. So... You know, the government, they probably have some sort of insurance system, I don't know, but, like, not as crazy as you would think. Anyway, um, due to the large amount of bills being moved, it is believed that the thieves spent the next two days in the bank moving out the money via the pulley system in the tunnels. At this point, you probably have a few questions. Perhaps you find yourself wondering, well, you know, sure, the bank was closed and empty, but didn't they have cameras, like, a motion detector, laser beams, sharks with frickin' laser beams on their frickin' heads, or even like a dark dog or something like that? Well, they did have cameras, and they did have motion detectors, but none of that other stuff, unfortunately. However, the thieves were careful to avoid the motion detectors and avoided setting off any alarms that way, more on this later, and the bank obviously had cameras. I mean, come on, like, what kind of bank doesn't have cameras? But these cameras didn't record so if someone happened to be monitoring the feeds, they'd have seen the bank being robbed. But the cameras didn't bat that up. Like, they just streamed the live feed. They didn't record it. And I guess the bank didn't have like a weekend guard on duty, or maybe he was just snoozing for two days. Who knows? So the criminals made off with all the loot, all this cash, and there's not only like no eyewitness descriptions to work from, but there's also like no video. We can't review any tape. And perhaps most remarkably, they also left incredibly little physical evidence at the scene of the crime. That might sound crazy, right? I mean, these people spent three months in that house in that tunnel, and two days in the bank vault. How do they possibly have avoided leaving clues behind? Well, they coated everything with burnt lime, aka calcium oxide, which is a chemical used fairly often by criminals. And it's also a very, very fine white powder. Calcium oxide is often used by serial killers or other murderers because I guess it was erroneously believed to speed up decaying bodies. However, my research, which, you know, Wikipedia page of burnt lime calcium oxide, has suggested that the opposite is true and it actually delays decay. Anyway, in this case, our bank robbers used it to obscure their fingerprints uh, because, like I said, the powder is very fine, so it sort of fills in the gaps, makes it difficult for law enforcement to get a full fingerprint, and, like, you, however they pick one up off a scene, can't really glean it. So in some ways, this case is almost similar to the Great Train Robbery of 1963, but also completely different. Uh, both were super audacious heists with large, ludicrous sums of money involved and large crews. Uh, they both also saw these crews purchase houses in the lead-up to the heist and attempt to cover up their physical evidence. Only in the case of the Bonto Central heist, these criminals were just a little bit better at it. However, apparently, and sources differ on this, but apparently a single fingerprint was recovered from either the bank, the tunnel, or the house. Uh, some sources say that there were a set of fingerprints, some say several cents, some say no fingerprints. And again, you know, like I said, discrepancies here. Who knows? Now... If there was 
a single fingerprint recovered. Let me tell you something. You suspect. Because that's just fishy as all get out, if you ask me. Uh, it reminds me of the scene in the town where John, where John Ham's character says something to the effect of, get me something that looks like it looks like a fingerprint. You know, a little dicey. I'm not saying that that is what went down, but like, if one fingerprint was found, I'd say that's suspicious. And as we've seen in the Drake train robbery case, and just life in general, police historically aren't necessarily always above fabricating evidence, particularly if they know someone is guilty. You know, they'll enhance their case a little bit, to say the least. Uh, there are also some claims that a SIM card for a disposable burner-type phone was recovered, and that a lot of the future suspects arrested came from that. But again, that came from another podcast, um, so I couldn't verify that. Still, one set of fingerprints is not a ton to go off, but fortunately for the police, they did get another break in the case. One of the culprits decided it would be a good idea to commit one of the cardinal sins of bank robbing, and made a large cash purchase. In this case, our guy bought 10, freaking 10, 10 brand new cars in cash the day after the heist. Like, dude, what are you doing? The day after the heist, making a huge cash purchase? Just dumb. And so this guy was the first domino to fall, obviously. Police caught up to him, and they apparently arrested him while he was traveling to another state with the 10 cars on a trailer. And inside three of these vehicles, the police found around $3 million of the store. And this guy pretty much immediately flipped on the rest of the crew and started giving out names and details. He revealed that the crew had insider information from a bank employee, which is how they knew the cameras didn't record and how they knew to avoid the motion detectors. The rat also revealed that the mayor of a small town known as sort of a hive of scum and villainy, you know, a little local town, not Fortaleza itself, uh, that the mayor was involved, and he was behind fronting a portion of the $200,000 needed to finance the construction of the tunnel. This is interesting to me, because in my research, um, one of the alleged masterminds of this heist, a man by the name of Moises Tetzeria da Silva, he had previously pulled off another similar heist which also involved the use of a tunnel. And I assumed because of like the use of the tunnel and the fact that it took a lot of money to finance this heist, that's why he was the suspect. But I guess that's not necessarily the case. In this heist, which took place in October 2004, thieves had broken into the bathroom of a money transport company after digging a 400-foot-long tunnel from a nearby house. The eight men responsible for carrying out that heist had worn monkey masks and were armed with AK-47s. The robbers forced about 75 employees to stuff the money into bags before fleeing through the tunnel. Ultimately, they made off with $1.6 million in around 10 minutes, and fortunately, as in the Banco Central heist, nobody was harmed during the robbery. So I figured, you know, before learning that the mayor of the town near Fortaleza partially financed the heist, that the first heist, the 2004 heist, was used to fund the 2005 heist. And maybe a portion of it did, you know, but... I thought that the first heist was like the first in a sequence of heists and it was carried out to enable the second heist, but apparently not the case. Anyway, uh, these two heists weren't the only time that De Silva utilized tunnels for his personal gain. In 2001, he was in the midst of serving a 25-year prison sentence for armed robbery. This prison was in Sao Paulo and was super notorious for overcrowding, violence, and had even been the site of a massacre during an earlier uprising by some of the inmates. 
In 2001, De Silva allegedly led over 100 criminals in an escape via tunnel. And if true, he obviously learned a huge lesson from that and kept utilizing tunnels. And just as obviously, it paid off for him in a big, big way. Anyway, as a result of the guy who bought 10 cars snitching on everyone, over three dozen men would be arrested in connection with this heist, and 26 would wind up serving prison uh, time for over 133 offenses. Now, the implication in the sources that I've read is that they were related to the heist, these offenses, but perhaps, you know, some were caught on other infractions. Regardless, we don't have a ton of names on these guys, but we do have some pretty killer aliases. One of the guys was nicknamed the Armadillo uh, because he was nice with the digging skills and all that, and he was sentenced to 17 years but ended up only serving two. Another guy was nicknamed Big Boss, and he was the tunnel's engineer because, you know, gotta do this right, obviously, and he got slapped with a lengthy prison sentence for his troubles. However, he escaped from prison in 2011, and as far as I could tell, has eluded capture ever since. And then at this point, we get into some other potential ringleaders. So, Moises Tetzeria da Silva is one potential mastermind, but two others are mentioned as well. A guy nicknamed the German evaded the police for a number of years before being captured in Brasilia, uh, and he was hit with a long prison sentence, which was lengthened to over 80 years by another judge for money laundering. And another suspected mastermind was a man by the name of Luis Fernando Ribeiro, a.k.a. Little Fernando, and he suffered a much worse fate than those who ended up in prison. Fortunately for our guy Little Fernando, while evading capture from the police and living life on the lam, he was kidnapped by another gang of criminals and held for ransom. And once his family paid up, he was killed. And this also allegedly happened to as many as six other members of the crew, which is about, you know, as tough of a beat as it gets for bank robbers. Hate to see it. Especially, you know, they didn't hurt anyone. Tough. As a result of all these arrests, about $8 million of the roughly $70 million stolen has been recovered by the police. And unfortunately, because so much time has passed and it is untraceable, no more is likely to get recovered. Unless we get some sort of note like, hey, this duffel bag full of money came from the 2005 Bontal Central heist. Which, you know, it seems kind of unlikely if you ask me. Not going to rule it out, but wouldn't think it's going to happen. So that just leaves us with like a few odds and ends, you know. So obviously, like I mentioned, not going to be able to track the money. Unlikely to be recovered. There are rumors that some of it has been used to finance building in that small town where the mayor was in on the heist, allegedly. But it also could be a coincidence. Who knows? Uh, there have been suggestions that maybe more of the money was recovered than we know and that maybe the findings were stimmed by the police officers who recovered. Who can say? You may be wondering, you know, why? How is it possible that these criminals spent three months? Uh, you may be wondering how these guys spent three months in this town, you know, digging and digging a tunnel underneath the city to get to a bank and were undetected. Well, a man by the name of Richard Chamberlain, who owned a used bookstore next to the property, serving as a dummy landscaping business, would say, I never saw them selling anything, and in fact, I never saw any plant or grass for sale in that house. I'm not sure how many people worked in that house, but I would say more than five. The man who seemed to be the owner of the establishment was a friendly person who at times would pay for a round of beer in a nearby bar. He was a tall, balding, and unshaven man who, judging from his accent, was from the south. 
maybe Sao Paulo. He definitely was not from Sierra or anywhere from northeastern Brazil. The bookstore owner also said he never heard any noises indicating tunneling or anything suspicious because the tunnel was dug underneath one of the city's busiest and noisiest avenues, so it would be hard to notice anything unusual. So, you know, I guess these guys were just friendly, affable, they kind of kept to themselves and operated in a busy city when it was a lot of loud stuff going on. And like I said, landscape business, you're not going to be too off-put by dirt getting pulled out of there, right? But yeah, that pretty much wraps this one up. Uh, this heist, while cinematic and dramatic, was pretty much solved, right? Uh, some of the culprits have eluded capture, and most of the money hasn't been recovered, but a lot of it was going to be destroyed anyway. And it wasn't like some rich person or even a bunch of poor people's money, so it's hard to feel too bad about that. Uh, we do have to feel bad for the folks who ended up getting murdered, though. No good for them. Hate to see it. So what did you think about that? You know, pretty slit heist, right? We got a dirty politician, an inside man, a huge crew, daring plan, police raids, and even kidnappings. Exciting stuff, to say the least. So exciting, in fact, that it inspired a 2011 film, but unfortunately, that movie was poorly reviewed and apparently pretty boring, oddly enough. Anyway, just about time for me to get on up out of here. But first... Remember, next week's episode, like I said in the beginning, is National Treasure. So please be sure to listen to that. I'm very excited to do that episode. I've got Chris and Mike joining me. That's going to be a banner. It's going to be incredible. Be sure to tune in. And we're nearing the tail end of this season, really. With three movie episodes left and two heists left before we get to the heist movie crew draft to end this season. More details on that to come. So that's super exciting stuff, you know, three seasons and the book's about to be like almost 50 episodes, I think, if not 50, uh, I think it might be exactly 50 episodes, which is kind of cool, which is awesome, and news on season four will be coming shortly, and that's probably going to tick off sometime in early summer of 2022, in my mind it is in July 2022, but I will be putting out episodes between the end of this season, which will be in February and July, so... You know, don't have to worry about a huge gap or anything. I gotta keep my stills fresh. That's just gonna be like a bunch of random bonus type episodes. Yeah, so no lull in new episodes if you care about that. Like always, if you did what you're hearing, be sure to hop on the podcast platform of your choice and subscribe, follow the show, whatever it is on that podcast platform. Also, be sure to follow the pod on Instagram at highkey underscore obsessed underscore podcast and on Twitter at podcast. Also, also, if you want to drop some feedback or suggest topics for future episodes or seasons, feel free to hit me up on the social media platforms I mentioned or on email at hightobsessedpodcast at gmail.com. So until next time, people, be sure to always, always, always keep an eye out for new local landscaping companies in your area and eat plenty of s'mores. Peace.